Well, good morning. Some things are a little bit different today, and that's intentional. We are trying to do a lot of things a little bit differently today at Crosswinds. That's kind of an object lesson of the, the sermon title, which is Be Innovative. And um, I am now having some struggles turning on my notes, but that's okay. Sometimes innovative technology is a challenge. Um, but that's okay. We'll get through that. So um, we're in a series called Be the Church. And um, uh, for the church to be what it is, it has to be innovative. Um, in this series, I've been saying that Jesus did not teach us practically how to do church, like how to have a building and how to put up uh, leaders in some kind of fancy frock or costume or how to sing three songs in a row and then pass a basket and have an offering and make sure the room is bright and that the sermon has to be only three minutes with three points. And uh, um, that, you know, the things that, that church experts um, make a lot of money at and, and, and teach us and that they fight about and churches fight about what are the things that we must do to be the church. What Jesus did do is he brought us a kingdom culture. And he taught us to try to be the type of people we should be. And innovative people who are new. Therefore, if anyone in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God through Christ, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. 1 Corinthians five seventeen through 18. You know, as a believer, we must be creative and willing to try and improve things. It doesn't always work out, but we must be willing to try and change things. The Bible says to be reconciled to God, and that is to change the value of something and make it better. Through Christ, we must have a ministry of reconciliation because he has changed us to be like him and to bring change to the world. And make it better because we were here. Second Corinthians five sixteen through 17 is all about innovation. Jesus is doing something new in all of us. You know, so many churches and people resist change so much. You know, I came from a Catholic background. And a mass is a mass. You can set your clock by them. There's not a lot of variation no matter where you go in the world, it's the same. You try to reform something in those places, like posting a blog on a door in Whittingburg, it's going to be bad. There's going to be hell to pay. I, I tend to be an out-of-the-box thinker, and when I started to come up with new ideas in Protestant churches, what I heard is, well, we ain't never done that around here before. Which is a mantra in many churches thankfully not here at crosswinds this attitude keeps many people from knowing the founder of the church jesus who likes to make things new he gave us a ministry of reconciliation he expects us to be an innovative people so we can be fruitful in his mission and as his people ezekiel told us before jesus got here what jesus's goal would be and he said i will give you a new heart and a new spirit i will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a, 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 a heart, a 
I mean, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He was going to make our hearts new. Jesus declared the completion of the goal in Revelation 21.5. Behold, I am making all things new. The planet, everything's going to be new. Jesus is an innovative, loving creator that wants to improve and innovate us completely through his gospel. Resistance to change in the ways he desires you to change, friends, is sin. His word says, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed through the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's from Ephesians 4, 21 through, or 22 through 24. You know, many churches and church people become ineffective because they uh, become rooted in a, in a culture of the past which does not effectively communicate the, the gospel to a people of the present. So one of the critical cultures we have at Crossroads and we must always have is this, creative communication. Finding innovative ways to communicate the gospel in relevant ways to each generation, to each gender, to each personality style, and to each people group. Innovation is not just about new ideas. It, it's, it's actually presenting old ideas in fresh new ways to new people. You know, I, I think churches often fear innovation because they want to preserve the truth. Love it. Truth does not change. Jesus never changed the truth. He, he was the truth, but he was innovative. He talked to people nobody else would talk to. He opened um, um, preaching venues and things like boats and um, fields and sitting by a well where no one else would go, but he was extremely effective. That preaching he did by the well led a whole town to him. He said things in ways that were different to gain people's attention. While truth does not change, communication styles have to change. In John, the chief priests and the Pharisees sent a bunch of um, guards to try to capture Jesus, and they came back empty-handed, and they said simply, no one ever spoke like this guy. They were dumbfounded. And, 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 and um, he spoke so innovatively, um, and, and, and Jesus shared the gospel with people right where they were, depending on who they were. He used stories and hyperbole and parables that helped him communicate at different levels with different people. Often the humble would get his message and the proud would not become overly hardened or offended because of how Jesus spoke. But the truth of the gospel was never compromised. He just used innovative ways to share it. Actually, the truth he shared is a very old truth from before the foundations of the earth. But it was being heard new and fresh to a generation of people that had not yet heard it or heard it correctly. That is our same challenge today, church, to bring people the gospel in innovative ways so they can see its relevance to their lives. Being innovative is not always hard. Sometimes it's simple. It doesn't cost a lot of money. It's just thinking a little differently. I was once talking to a Buddhist friend of mine, and instead of arguing with him over whether religion, which religion is better, as a lot of people might do, I said there was a time in my life when I studied Buddhism, and I thought Buddha had some good things to say. But I found there were some things Buddha just didn't answer for me. You know what the man said? 
Me too. I said, what? He said, how do you forgive yourself? I said, you hit the nail on the head. That's why I became a Christian. We can't forgive ourselves. Only God can forgive sin. And you know what we had? A healthy gospel conversation. I didn't have to fight for it. Because he found the loophole. He found the problem. That's being innovative in our conversations. The purpose of being innovative is to be relevant so you can communicate something helpful to someone else. To be successful in missions, you need to understand people's culture, how they think and, and how they communicate to bring the gospel to them. The Apostle Paul said, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. You know, Paul talked differently to the pagans, the Greeks, and to the religious Jews because of their cultural differences, but he never compromised on the truth. We can't just say, this is the way I am, just take it or leave it, and be effective in communicating the gospel. Instead, we always must be willing to learn new things, adapt to our methods, and look for new ways to communicate. One innovative thing we can do is use new people. I brought Jasmine up here. She's one of the newest people to our church to do our reading, and it was fantastic. She's new to Crosswind. People probably listen to her more because she's new, and frankly, she's more attractive than I am. And she reads better. She's a children's librarian. She's younger and different gender. All those things might help some people hear her better. Yet sometimes there's traditions that wouldn't let her speak. Not here. Jesus empowered people to do things that were different. He empowered one of his leaders to walk on water. Nobody ever done that before. Right? He, he challenged people to do something different in their lives. We have a new intern at Crosswinds named Zane Hernandez, who I hope is watching today. He, he recently graduated from Harvard's Extension University um, with his master's degree, and, and Zane is now choosing an innovative solution to um, build his career to help improve our ministry. He, he shares sharing his creative abilities so he can gain some real-world experiences, knowing that it will help him later find a fulfilling job opportunity um, you know, so if your company is looking for a bright young man, um, you, you know, get in touch with me. I might let him go. And no, I'm kidding. We want to help Zane. But uh, Zane is currently working on giving our technology, our website first, a fresh, new, efficient look to help us reach a digital audience because we're reaching people across the world. Today, um, we are releasing our new church app. Download it. I'm serious. Pick up your phone right now. I want you to go to the app store and your Google or and type in Crosswinds Church Plainfield. Download our app. Or are you afraid of a new app on your phone? Beloved, this is going to be a new way to simplify communication as a church. Some of you are thinking, why do I need a new app? Because we need to reach those that are 30 below with the gospel. I organize my life with a PC, an email. But my younger worship leader organizes life with apps. And it's never on a PC. Isn't that right, Jeremy? Okay. So does my daughter and all her friends. You know, I was recently at a conference, and they were talking about Generation Z. That's about 25 below people in this country. 57 million of them are lost Far from God, 57 million, 87 or 80% say that living a fulfilled life with purpose is very important to them. 40% say that 
feel that church is an important thing, although they do not attend one or know much about it. A new national study found that 48% of people surrendered to Christ under the age of 13. If you surrender to Christ under the age of 13, stand up. Okay, 77% before the age of 18. If you surrendered to Christ before the age of 18, stand up. 95% surrender to Christ under the age of 30. Stand up. You see what I'm talking about? Go ahead, sit down. That was a national study. So if you are like me, and you want to be all things to all people, you might want to download that app on your phone right now. Because we need to be able to communicate with this huge mission field in our midst. 57 million people in our country that need missionaries. The population of Kenya, which I went to in the spring, is 53 million. And you know what? It's 80% reached. 80% reached with the gospel. The population of Sierra Leone is 8.5 million, is 5% reached. The population of Haiti, which we go to, I've been to all three places as a missionary, is 94% reached, and it's 11.4 million. And right here amongst us, there's 57 million people in our country that are unreached. We need to communicate in ways that we can reach them. And yet there are still some churches that are listening to organ music every Sunday. How many of you listen to organ music on your free time just for fun? Okay, one. So it's not so relevant. I'm not saying organs are bad, but we got to get to be what's relevant with, with our people. Huh? You know, music, art, dance, theater, technology are powerful forms of communication, vehicles of communication, and they can be used for good or evil. But we as Christians can use them as good to reach a generation. Shouldn't we use innovative thought and innovative technology to bring the most important message ever to this generation? We have a true message, the best message, that reanimates dead things. Nothing else can do that. So it never gets old. But our communication needs to be good. Our advertisers understand the power of new. They change the packages of, of something. They, they change the color of the formula inside, and they say it's new and improved. And you know what? We flock to buy it. Yet the church says, we've got to keep it old. People are in love and attracted to things that are new and that are fresh and that are interesting, not tired and trite things. I became a church planner 16 years ago because I learned that new churches reach new people. You know why? They care about new people. They realize why they're there, that it's all about the people. And the longer that a church exists, the more self-focused they can become. Instead of thinking about how they can connect with those around them, they start thinking about that this building is, needs to be nicer for us. And, and how can the pastor serve us more? Instead of thinking about how they can help him reach those 57 million that are under 25, that are unreached. Crosswinds, you've always been an innovative church. You started out with two ordinary men, two ordinary uneducated men, one a, a nuclear engineer, one a professional juggler. And we have taken risks. We have sought to be innovative and reach people. We've got to stay focused. 
We've got to stay outward focused. Because Generation Z is a huge mission field. You know, God unexpectedly, as I was praying this, this, this week, led me to the parable of the talent, talents that uh, Jasmine read. And um, I think it's relevant to where we're at right now. A talent um, is not an ability here. It's a weight. Um, it, it's a, a, and it's, its value is dependent on, in biblical times, whether it was copper, silver, or gold. So verse 14 says in Matthew 25, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. Our, our, our word talent comes from the word in Greek, teleton, which is a, simply a sum of money generally regarded as 6,000 denaria. Now, a denaria was about a day's wages to Jesus' audience. It would take 20 years for an average worker to save up that much money. In the story, a, a very wealthy man gives what is his to his servants for them to steward it while he travels. Now, Jesus is illustrating the wealthy traveler is our father, God. And whatever resources that we have, whether they be our time, our money, our abilities, our influence, they are his property for, that he gives us for a while to steward, not ours. And to the one he gave the five talents, and to another he gave two, and to another he gave one, each according to his ability, and then he went away. You know, the conservative radio announcer, Rich Rush Limbaugh, before he died, used to say, I have talent on loan from God. Now, many thought he was arrogant in saying that, but, you know, actually that's very theologically accurate, isn't it, according to Jesus? That whatever we have is on loan from God. The master gave each one great value, if you think about it. 20 years worth of wages, 40 years worth of wages, and 100 years worth of wages. We can think about this, these talents as life, abilities, and opportunities that he's given each one of us. Now, each servant, he gave more value than they deserved. But he gave appropriate value. They each had what they had the ability to manage in life. God made each of us for different purposes and has given us different resources to work with. But recognize each had valuable resources to work with, and so do each of us. Now let's look at what the first servant does. He who received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Immediately, this servant sees the opportunity and he is innovative, which leads him to engage in the work of some kind. We don't know what. And he multiplies what he's been given to five times as much. He has doubled the master's wealth by his innovation, which brings him 100 years more of wages. That's innovative thinking, folks. He does not sit back thinking, I have more than anybody else. I'll just sit here. Instead, he sees how he can maximize the opportunity of life that his master has given him. And then verse 17, it says, So also he who has two talents made two talents more. Now the second servant, 
He had less. He had less to work with initially, but he does not mope. He does not grumble. He does not complain that he has three talents less. Actually, the text says he does exactly the same thing as the first servant. He went and he innovated at once, multiplied, and doubled the resource he had to work with. He maximizes the life that God had given, the opportunity that God had given him. And now, the third servant, he does something completely different. But he who had received the talent went and dug in the ground and hid the master's money. And now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. At this point, we could say all three servants did okay. They all gave back to the master at least what was entrusted to him, to them. Two, though, were exceptional because they increased the investment. But no harm was done by the third servant, right? He didn't lose anything. But let's see what the master has to say about it. And when he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, here, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. I'm sure the first servant had so much joy just even coming up to his master to show him and to share in his master's joy. The master was not saying to him, come, be happy because you made me richer. That's not what the master was saying. He was saying, come, share in my riches. And to the second servant, he, who also had two servants, talents, came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents, and I have made two talents more. And his master said, To him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. The same thing happens to the second servant. Notice, even though the amounts both servants have is different, the blessing or the reward is exactly the same for both servants. One, based on his natural abilities to innovate and produce, was giving more to steward. But the second servant was not penalized or looked down on for doing less. Instead, he was praised and rewarded for doing the same thing, for innovating with the resources he had. He fully used them to bless his maker or master. And because he did that, he was just as blessed as his brother that initially had more to work with. When it comes to innovation, it is about using the resources at our disposable, disposal to the maximum. The text does not say, well done, my good and brilliant servant. Or, well done, my good and extremely talented servant servant or well done my good and exceptional servant it says good and faithful servant both are character qualities being innovative friends 
is not about being cool. It's not about being hip. It's not even about wowing people. It's about offering the best of what you have, the best of your resources to be multiplied by what God can do in your life and then be given back to God. Actually, it's, it's really not about you at all. You are his servant. And it's your job to take his resources and bring glory to him by multiplying them in the world. And here's what's interesting. When we do that, we are not given a servant's portion of joy back. We are given a master's portion of joy back. You know, most people in this life are just chasing a servant's portion of happy in life. They believe whatever is, is just good enough. These two guys believed in something better. They're willing to take risks, to, to trade, what Jesus' story tells, to trade, to innovate, and to produce something better, something fitting to offer to their master. And, and, and what gave them the power to do that? It is what their master said to them in the end. That they were faithful. That they were full of faith. This faith is what gave their masters, their master joy. This faith is what gives their master pleasure, not his riches. He has plenty of riches to go around. Look what he says to even the guy who gave him back a hundred years of wages. You have been faithful in a few things. Now I will set you over much. To him, a hundred years of wages was just a few things. That's how rich our master was. Now I will set you over much. The master's joy is not seeing his profit. The master's joy is seeing his servants innovate. And seeing what they do with what they were given by him. His goal is to give them more and, and, and see them rule with him over it. Some of you may be getting tired of me sharing this verse. But I think it's so relevant to our understanding of who God is, so I'll share it again. Because I think it's what he desires from us. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What does God want us to believe about him? That he is good and that he is faithful to us. That he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. These two had faith. They had the faith to take risks, to innovate, because they trusted in the goodness of their master. Now let's look at the third servant. He also, who had received the, the one talent, came forward and he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid 
And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Look at the contrasting attitude here of the third servant. You're a hard man. Come on. The master entrusted you with 20 years of wages. And then he, he went away and gave you the freedom to do what you wanted with it. He, he gave you the opportunity to make choices and, 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 and do what you wanted. All the master wanted to do, he didn't need the money, wanted to see what you did with it when you, he returned. But now this man assaults the master's character, blaming him for his own misfortunate choices. He goes even farther, farther and calls his master a crook. You reap what you do not sow. You cheat people. You stole someone else's crop. That's what he's saying. You cheated me. Gathering from ground you did not plant. I did the work of planting that money in the ground, and I had to go dig it up again. I have nothing to show, and, and master, it's all your fault. That is not an innovative thinker, is it? And here's why. The man's words reveal why. I was afraid. There it is. That's the real problem of the uninnovative thinker. He is an inventor, not an innovator. He's a creator. He's creative. But he wastes his time inventing and creating fears instead of going and trading and being productive. That's innovation. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the street. Proverbs 26, 13. The real problem of the man is that he is lazy in doing the work of being innovative. So he invents fears, invents fears instead. And in his fears, he invents other distractions to keep himself busy being unproductive at doing his master's work. The, the sad reality is, is that his fears are driving him to work in anxious toil Maybe harder in life and definitely less joyful than the other workers that were innovative workers. He went and dug a hole. That was work. He worried. That's work. He's fearing whether somebody might find the hole that he dug. That's work. Maybe he wasted time checking on the hole, guarding the hole, making sure nobody stole the talent from the hole. That's all work. But see, talents are meant to be traded. According to Jesus' story, his fears create a lot of unproductive work. Beloved, sin is unproductive work. Fear is sin. Jesus says, do not do it. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Friends, that's a really big category. And you know what? It's a shall not by our God. If our master has entrusted us with wealth and tells us do not fear, why would we? Unless we believe he's not really good. Now let's look at what the master says to him. 
you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Why did the master call him wicked? I mean, he served him, didn't he? And, and he really didn't do anything bad, did he? I mean, he gave the master his money back. But he didn't do anything good, did he? Because he really didn't have any faith in the master's goodness. He only had fear. He had imagined him cruel and hard, even when all the evidence pointed to the contrary. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Okay, he didn't get as much as the guy with 100 wages, 100 years wages. He didn't get that much. He only got 20 years. But still, that's pretty amazing for a servant made from the dust. Servants typically just live day by day earning their wage. But to be entrusted with that kind of wealth is nobody's giving me that kind of wealth, 20 years wages. That's, that's pretty amazing. The, the, the master ignores the man's insulting words against his character. But what really seems to bother the master was that the guy was not innovative and, and that the guy had blown off the opportunity, the good opportunity that was given to him. And friends, if you really thought, or, or I'm sorry, uh, and, and, and what God is saying or the master is saying, if, if, if you thought that was bad, if you thought I was so bad, if you, if you thought I was so evil, you should have at least tried to obey me a little and, and done the same thing and, and put that money in the bank and, 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 and collect for me a little bit of interest for all my trouble in dealing with you. But here's the reality. You don't fear me at all. Your fear for me is a lie. Instead, you let your anxieties and your fears rule your life. And that's left you with nothing. There's really no faith in me for you so that I can be pleased in you. And how many people who say they are Christians are like this? They, they try to live their safe little lives. They don't want to upset God by, by failing. They don't want to embarrass themselves by possibly investing a little time or money or treasure by trading in the marketplace to increase what God has given them. So they hide in their sin, and they fly under the radar. They've never had a gospel conversation. They never have discipled anyone. They never use the gifts that God has given them to serve others or to help grow his kingdom because they are afraid. Because they say, I might fail. I'm afraid to fail. Instead, they innovate. Or instead of innovate, they invent. They invent fears, and they're lazy, unproductive servants. And look what the master says. So take the talent from him and give it to him. Who has ten talents? For the one who has will be given, and he who has abundance 
But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Some may be thinking, oh, the poor guy, even what he has is taken away. Friends, we're not talking about the guy's needs. The master is good. He provides for that servant's needs. What we are talking about is the master's wealth. And why would the master leave wealth somewhere where it would do no good? Crossmans, our God has been good to us. He's given us a building. He's given us a pastor who cares. He's given us some great leaders, creative people who do great things here. I think he's given us a good vision. He's given us up-to-date tools and resources. We live in a community where 96% of the people are unreached with the gospel. Are you making disciples? Are you being the church? Are, Are you using these resources that God has given you? The main one being you? Or are you hiding? Are you hiding in your career? Are you hiding in your family? Are you hiding in a woman's arms? Are you hiding in a man's arms? Are you hiding in Netflix? Are you hiding in your fears? Are you hiding in your doubts? Are you hiding in gossip news shows? Are you hiding in recreation? Are you hiding in blaming me? Are you hiding in blaming God? Realize all the resources could be given to a people who want to please their master and innovate and use whatever they have for his glory. See, there are gospel movements right now spreading all over the world. But too many Americans are hiding. And yet they have been given more than five talents. Verse 30 is chilling. It says, And cast the worthless service into the outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, that verse is scary. And also surprising because it seems to say that the master is saying that servant is worthless. But the master knows that servant is not worthless. He made him. And he would have not invested 20 years' wages of pay in him if he thought he was worthless. Jesus is saying to this to the audience to wake them up because he loves them. The problem is, is the man's story, and the man in the story needs to understand his worth. He needs to understand his worth to the master. He doesn't understand his own worth, and he doesn't understand the worth of what he's been given. And that it's ultimately the master's desire to share his joy and everything with him forever. And in this verse, Jesus is painting for us a picture of the culture of hell in contrast to the culture of heaven. The culture of heaven is unending joy and wealth and abundance and hell is a place of deep regret, weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
I could have had it all, but I choose my fantasies and my fears. It's a place of darkness, a place where we invent fears instead of faith for others. And Jesus wants us to innovate and have abundance with him forever. Jesus is telling us the story about his father as master. And and today, if you are thinking of this man in the story like God is a hard crook for treating this man so, think again. This master in the story is away on a long journey. Our God, our master, is slow to get angry with us. And, And he's made a huge investment in us. Not only did he give us His image. Not only did he give us life and breath and provide every created thing we enjoy, he sent his very own son, Jesus, to live as one of us and to die shamefully, painfully on a cross, paying for the debt of our sin. Because we have been wicked and lived in fear and in sin. And he sowed. that good son, that good seed into the ground so that we could reap his goodness when he died. And then that good son, after being sown in the ground for three days, that good seed of our master walked out of that tomb Alive again. And if you believe in the wealth and the goodness of our master and what he has invested in you, you will reap eternal life by faith. Because what he has sown is so valuable for you by his goodness and his faithfulness to you. Today, our innovative response is going to be different than normal. On your table, I'd like you to all find piece of paper. It has a bunch of circles. It's called an oikos map. An oikos stands for what our master finds to be true wealth and its relationships. And and I want you to be an innovative church today. The biggest excuse servants of Christ give for why they don't invite, why they don't disciple, and they don't have gospel conversations. I don't know anybody, which is a lie. You know, funeral homes and wedding chapels are all built for about 250 people because we all know about that many people on a first-name basis. We just don't think of them. They don't come to mind. And and most of us have more friends than that on social media. So I'm not going to make you work that hard. I'm not even going to look at this. This is for you. I want you to innovate. I just want you to see the wealth the Father has given you. I want you to put yourself in that circle. That's the first bit of wealth you have. So put your own name in the circle. That's your first asset. And then I want you to put five names of people you that are far from God in your life, in your circle, five names of people that you know by name around it. Those people are of extreme wealth to God. His son died for them. Now, I want you to notice off of one of those names are some names coming off of it. Out of one of those names, you know some of the people they know. So write down some of the people that they know. So maybe it's their children. Maybe it's their spouse. Maybe it's somebody they work with. So write those names down too. 
Now, if anybody's having trouble coming up with names, because sometimes it's just hard to think of names, I'm going to do some word association. Just write down somebody you love there. Just write down somebody you love. Write, write down somebody from your occupation. R- write down somebody you see every day. Just somebody you see. Maybe it's a person that, you know, you wave the crossing guard at school. Maybe it's uh, one of your teachers. Maybe it's uh, somebody you see at work in the, when you go get coffee. Just write down somebody you see. You know their name. Just write down somebody you see. Write, write down somebody you, you know who is trouble. Apostle Paul was trouble. Or somebody who's in trouble right now that you know is trouble or in trouble. Write them down. Just, just write down those names. Maybe that's jogged your memory, some people. Put them down. You should have at least five talents right now. Five talents. Something to innovate with. Something of infinite worth. Now, what if you only have two? Be good and faithful. Be, be good and faithful with what you have. What if you only have one? Be good and faithful with what you have. Now, today, what if you have none? Look at your own name in that circle and start innovating. There are 57 million names out there that we can get to know go to crema after church there are a few sitting around there right now in that gen z and listen to their stories say hi it does not matter how many you have it matters today what you do next today repent of your fears and go at once and start trading for them in your prayers you can sit in that coffee shop and just start praying for those kids that are there today will you commit to give your time, your talent, and your treasure in innovative ways to reach them. Then put this piece of paper somewhere you will see it every day. Can you be creative and maybe cook one of those people on that list a meal and invite them over this week? Can you be creative and make them a card and send it to them to encourage them? Maybe today, can you share that app with them so that they can maybe listen to one of these sermons and and be encouraged or listen to Jeremy and the Praise Band play because all their songs are in there now that that we've recorded and put up there. They can, on their way to work, start hearing the gospel that way. Can can you, um, they can start getting notifications from our church about different things that are going on. Can, Can you share the app with them? People are in different places of their lives. Maybe just go over and and, and hang out with them. Just help them come closer to Jesus by becoming closer to you. And and friends, don't worry about failures. You don't have to be brilliant. You just have to be good and faithful. And God will multiply your joy as you do it. And one day you'll hear those words, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful in little things, and now I'm going to give you much. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you, and I praise you for your goodness and your mercy. Father, there's nothing to be afraid of. And Father, I pray that you would give my brothers and sisters creative, innovative thoughts and let their fears go away. Your perfect love for us casts out fear. You want nothing more for us than for us to be successful, to be productive and innovative and, and do great things for you, us. Jesus, you said you would, that we would do greater things than even you did on this earth, that your people, because of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Oh, Holy Spirit, come now and fill this place. Fill us, Lord God. Fill us for your glory and for your purpose.
Lord, I know I've spoken hard today. But I pray that it created soft hearts that will go for you. Go out into this world. Because there are so many lost sons and daughters right in this neighborhood, right in this town. We don't have to go to Africa. We don't have to go to Haiti. We don't have to go across the world to find a people group that doesn't know you. And we'll lose a generation if we don't. Oh, Father God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Let us be innovative as a church. Let's do things we've never done before. For your glory. In Jesus' name.